Chapter Six, Part One of Children of the Ghetto by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Six: The Redemption of the Son and the Daughter, Part One. Malka did not have long to wait for her liege lord. He was a fresh-coloured young man of thirty rather good-looking, with side-whiskers, keen, eager glance, and an air of perpetually doing business. Though a native of Germany, he spoke English as well as many lane Jews, whose comparative impiety was a certificate of British birth. Michael Birnbaum was a great man in the local little synagogue, if only one of the crowd at Duke's Plaiser. He had been successively Gabbai and Parnass, and had presented the plush curtain with its mystical decoration of intersecting triangles woven in silk that hung before the ark in which the scrolls of the law were kept. He was the very antithesis of Moses Ansell. His energy was restless. From hawking he had risen to a profitable traffic in gold lace and Brummingham jewellery, with a large clientele all over the country, before he was twenty. He touched nothing which he did not profit by, and when he married at twenty-three a woman nearly twice his age, the transaction was not without the usual percentage. Very soon his line was diamonds. real diamonds. He carried a pocket-knife, which was a combination of a corkscrew, a pair of scissors, a file, a pair of tweezers, a toothpick, and half a dozen other things, which seemed an epitome of his character. His temperament was lively, and, like Ephraim Phillips, he liked music-halls. Fortunately Malka was too conscious of her charms to dream of jealousy. Michael smacked her soundly on the mouth with his lips, and said, "'Well, mother?' He called her mother, not because he had any children, but because she had, and it seemed a pity to multiply domestic nomenclature. "'Well, my little one,' said Malka, hugging him fondly, "'have you made a good journey this time?' "'No. Trade is so dull. People won't put their hands in their pockets and here people won't take their hands out of their pockets lazy dogs everybody is striking jews with them unheard of things the bootmakers the cap-makers the furriers and now they say the tailors are going on strike more fools too with the trade so slack what with one thing and another let me put your cravat straight my little love it's just the people who can't afford to buy new clothes that are hard up, so that they can't afford to buy second-hand clothes either. If the Almighty is not good to us, we shall come to the Board of Guardians ourselves." "'Not quite so bad as that, mother,' laughed Michael, twirling the massive diamond ring on his finger. "'How's baby? Is it ready to be redeemed?' "'Which baby?' said Malka with well-affected agnosticism. Phew! 
whistled Michael. "'What's up now, mother?' "'Oh, nothing, my pet, nothing.' "'Well, I'm going across. Come along, mother. Oh, wait a minute. I want to brush this mud off my trousers. Is the clothes-brush here?' "'Yes, dearest one,' said the unsuspecting Malka. Michael winked imperceptibly, flicked his trousers, and without further parley ran across the diagonal to Milly's house. Five minutes afterwards a deputation, consisting of the charwoman, waited upon Malka and said, "'Missus says you will please come over, as baby is a-crying for its grandma.' "'Oh, that must be another pin,' said Malka with a gleam of triumph at her victory. But she did not budge. At the end of five minutes she rose solemnly, adjusted her wig and her dress in the mirror, put on her bonnet, brushed away a non-existent speck of dirt from her left sleeve, put a peppermint in her mouth, and crossed the square, carrying the clothes-brush in her hand. Milly's door was half open but she knocked at it and said to the charwoman miss mrs phillips in yes mum the company's all upstairs oh then i will go up and return her this myself malka went straight through the little crowd of guests to milly who was sitting on a sofa with ezekiel quiet as a lamb and good as gold in her arms milly my dear she said I have come to bring you back your clothes-brush. Thank you so much for the loan of it." "'You know you're welcome, mother,' said Milly, with unintentionally dual significance. The two ladies embraced. Ephraim Phillips, a sallow-looking black-haired Pole, also kissed his mother-in-law, and the gold chain that rested on Malka's bosom heaved with the expansion of domestic pride. Malka thanked God she was not a mother of barren or celibate children, which is only one degree better than personal unfruitfulness, and testifies scarce less to the celestial curse. "'Is that pin-mark gone away yet, Milly, from the precious little thing?' said Malka, taking Ezekiel in her arms and disregarding the transformation of face which in babies precedes a storm. "'Yes, it was a mere flea-bite,' said Milly, incautiously, adding hurriedly, "'I always go through his flannels and things most carefully to see that there are no more pins lurking about.' "'That's right. Pins are like fleas. You never know where they get to,' said Malka, in an insidious spirit of compromise. Where is Leah? She's in the back yard, frying the last of the fish. Don't you smell it? It will hardly have time to get cold. Well, but I did a dish for myself last night. She's only preparing reserve, in case the attack be too deadly. And where is the Cohen? Oh, we have asked old Hyams across the ruins. We expect him round every minute. At this point the indications of Ezekiel's facial barometer were fulfilled, and a tempest of weeping shook him. "'Nah! Go, then, go to the mother,' said Malka, angrily. "'All my children are alike. It's getting late. 
hadn't you better send across again for old Hyams?' "'There's no hurry, mother,' said Michael Birnbaum, soothingly. "'We must wait for Sam.' "'And who's Sam?' cried Malka, unappeased. "'Sam is Leah's cousin,' replied Michael, ingenuously. "'Clever,' sneered Malka. "'But my grandson is not going to wait for the son of a proselyte. Why doesn't he come?' He'll be here in one minute. How do you know? We came up in the same train. He got in at Middlesbrough. He's just gone home to see his folks and get a wash and brush up. Considering he's coming up to town merely for the sake of the family ceremony, I think it would be very rude to commence without him. It's no joke, a long railway journey in this weather. My feet were nearly frozen, despite the foot-warmer. "'My poor lambkin!' said Malka, melting, and she patted his side-whiskers. Sam Levine arrived almost immediately, and Leah, fish-fork in hand, flew out of the backyard kitchen to greet him. Though a member of the tribe of Levi, he was anything but ecclesiastical in appearance, rather a representative of muscular Judaism. He had a pink-and-white complexion, and a tawny moustache, and bubbled over with energy and animal spirits. He could give most men thirty and a hundred in billiards, and fifty in anecdote. He was an advanced radical in politics, and had a high opinion of the intelligence of his party. He paid Leah lip-fealty at his entrance. "'What a pity it's Sunday!' was Leah's first remark when the kissing was done. "'No going to the play,' said Sam, ruefully, catching her meaning. They always celebrated his return from a commercial round by going to the theatre. Theatre, they pronounced it. They went to the pit of the West End houses, rather than patronise the local dress circles with the same money. There were two strata of ghetto girls, those who strolled the Strand on Sabbath, and those who strolled in the Whitechapel Road. Leah was of the upper stratum. She was a tall, lovely brunette, exuberant of voice and figure, with coarse red hands. She doted on ice-cream in the summer and hot chocolate in the winter, but her love of the theatre was a perennial passion. Both Sam and she had good ears, and Rawl was first in the field with the latest comic opera tunes. Leah's healthy vitality was prodigious. There was a legend in the lane of such a maiden having been chosen by a coronet. Leah was satisfied with Sam, who was just her match. On the heels of Sam came several other guests, notably Mrs. Jacobs, wife of Reb Shmuel, and her pretty daughter Hannah. Mr. Hyams, the Cohen, came last, the priest, whose functions had so curiously dwindled since the times of the temples. To be called first to the reading of the law, to bless his brethren with symbolic spreading of palms and fingers in a mystic incantation delivered standing shoeless before the Ark of the Covenant at festival seasons, to redeem the mother's first-born son when neither parent was of priestly lineage. 
these privileges, combined with a disability to be with or near the dead, differentiated this religious position from that of the Levite or the Israelite. Mendel Hyams was not puffed up about his tribal superiority, though if tradition were to be trusted, his direct descent from Aaron, the high priest, gave him a longer genealogy than Queen Victoria's. He was a meek sexagenarian, with a threadbare black coat and a childlike smile. All the pride of the family seemed to be absorbed by his daughter Miriam, a girl whose very nose heaven had fashioned scornfully. Miriam had accompanied him out of contemptuous curiosity. She wore a stylish feather in her hat, and a boa round her throat, and earned thirty shillings a week all told as a schoolteacher. Esther Ansell was in her class just now. Probably her toilette had made old Hyams unpunctual. His arrival was the signal for the commencement of the proceedings, and the men hastened to assume their headgear. Ephraim Phillips cautiously took the swaddled-up infant from the bosom of Milly, where it was suckling, and presented it to old Hyams. Fortunately, Ezekiel had already had a repletion of milk, and was drowsy, and manifested very little interest in the whole transaction. This is my first-born son," said Ephraim in Hebrew as he handed Ezekiel over. First-born of his mother, and the Holy One, blessed be he, hath given command to redeem him, as it is said, and those who are to be redeemed from them for a month old, shalt thou redeem according to thine estimation for the money of five shekels after the shekels of the sanctuary, the shekel being twenty garas. And it is said, Sanctify unto me all the first-born, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine." Ephraim Phillips then placed fifteen shillings in silver before old Hyams, who thereupon inquired in Chaldaic, "'Which wouldst thou rather give me thy first-born son, the first-born of his mother, or redeem him for five selim, which thou art bound to give according to the law?' Ephraim replied in Chaldaic, I am desirous rather to redeem my son, and here thou hast the value of his redemption which I am bound to give according to the law. Thereupon Hyams took the money tendered, and gave back the child to his father, who blessed God for his sanctifying commandments, and thanked him for his mercies. After which the old Cohen held the fifteen shillings over the head of the infant, saying, this instead of that, this in exchange for that, this in remission of that. May this child enter into life, into the law, and into the fear of heaven. May it be God's will that even as he has been admitted to redemption, so may he enter into the law, the nuptial canopy, and into good deeds. O main. Then placing his hands in benediction upon the child's head, the priestly layman added, Yasim Cha Elokim Kefraim Vachimanasha Yerecha Shem Vishmarecha Yer Hashem Panavelecha Vichunecha. 
God make thee as Ephraim and Manasha. God bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious to thee. The Lord turn his face to thee and grant thee peace. The Lord is thy guardian, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. For length of days and years of life and peace shall they add to thee. The Lord shall guard thee from all evil, he shall guard thy soul. Amen, answered the company, and then there was a buzz of secular talk, general rapture being expressed at the stolidness of Ezekiel's demeanour. Cups of tea were passed round by the lovely Leah, and the secrets of the paper bags were brought to light. Ephraim Phillips talked horses with Sam Levine, and old Hyams quarrelled with Malka over the disposal of the fifteen shillings. Knowing that Hyams was poor, Malka refused to take back the money, rendered to him under the pretence of a gift to the child. The Cohen, however, was a proud man, and under the eye of Miriam a firm one. Ultimately it was agreed that the money should be expended on a Misha Berach for the infant's welfare and the synagogues. Birds of a feather flocked together, and Miriam foregathered with Hannah Jacobs, who also had a stylish feather in her hat, and was the most congenial of the company. Mrs. Jacobs was left to discourse of the ailments of childhood and the iniquity of servants with Mrs. Phillips. Reb Shmuel's wife, commonly known as the Rebbitson, was a tall woman with a bony nose and shrivelled cheeks, whereon the piles of the blood-vessels were scrawled in red. The same bones were visible beneath the plumper padding of Hannah's face. Mrs. Jacobs had escaped the temptation to fatness, which is the besetting peril of the Jewish matron. If Hannah could escape her mother's inclination to angularity, she would be a pretty woman. She dressed with taste, which is half the battle, and, for the present, she was only nineteen. End of chapter 6, part 1